0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production.
1: All right, everyone, welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. I'm Darren Karp. Liz, you're Liz Cully. I'm introducing you here today because we have two guests. But before I intro before I even do like a formal intro, I know you have some stuff to get off
2: your chest, Liz, but it's not about getting stuff off of our chest. I just think Mm -hmm. that it is a perfect episode because (laughs) everyone that knows me knows that I love everything beauty. I've worked in and out of beauty. I always love the nails, everything. Darren, Mm -hmm. I know that I have tried to Convert thrust me. upon, she's thrusting, and it <laughs> ain't happening. Beauty regime on you. You've been a very willing participant when our makeup has been done, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yes, we need more, more, more. But unfortunately, this morning I got a spray tan. Can you guys tell? Because she's look at my arms. Her arm is a
1: different color and
2: it all leaked under her shirt, (coughs) which is good. And it shouldn't go well. And I can't take my clothes off. Most of my house is white. I'm sitting in a chair like I'm in trouble and I'm embarrassed. And I'm not going to lie. I actually adjusted the light on my camera because I look (laughs) insane. Like I look like a
3: burnt hot dog. Like I'm very (laughs) orange And it is unfortunate. I am dying. Listen, (laughs) listen, talk about show up to work though. First of all, (laughs) I just started
2: a new job. So then
3: I get on a Zoom call. 15 minutes ago, and I was like, hi, how's everybody doing? You know what? Well, girl, we black, black, so we couldn't even tell, girl. (laughs) Okay, thank you. (laughs) There you
1: go. Well, those (laughs) lovely voices we hear are the founders of Condition Her. H-E-R ends it like conditioner, but condition her. Uh, There are co-founders, Wendy Rose Berry, and we've got Eugenia Marshall on the line. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing, ladies. Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, ladies, and my, on my lovely lunch break.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you both are entrepreneurs. Is that the correct term here that we're going to
3: use? You're both you're both mothers. This, I, I guess th- I guess they say mompreneurs. Yeah, mompreneurs. It still counts no matter what age your, your, your kids are. My son will be 25 this year. So I'm still mothering. Do all of his friends hit on you?
2: Yes, girl. Get into it. <laughs> I bet they do. Don't come to a party with Darren and I. You might not come out alive.
1: Well, because so conditioner is essentially, you know, a, a skin care brand, but also for your intimate areas, if that's what we're saying. Right. Which I'm sure is probably tough to market. I mean, we, our podcast is called Scissoring Isn't a Thing, as you know, and it's probably it's like. People look at it like it's the most jarring title in the world. They laugh, but it's sometimes difficult to market. Liz is in marketing, so she kind of knows what I'm talking about here. So why did you guys guys decide to... Start a business based in something that literally, like everyone feels squeamish even saying the word vagina or vulva. Not me, but other people do. Darren (laughs) loves (laughs) to say it. Darren loves to say say vagina.
2: Yes.
3: (laughs) Listen, we often when we're when we're talking to folks who are doing IG Lives, like we kind of make everyone say vulva. I think it's a super sexy word. I think it's why. I I think vulva. Like look at you. Look how your lips do. And I have on bright. Look how your lips do. Vulva. Like it's very say vulva say it with the okay know. vulva vulva <laughs> so now, in all seren- seriousness you know you're right the truth of the matter is it definitely is taboo topic we don't often talk about especially women you know i, I feel like as kids we're like overexposed to male genitalia and you know <laughs> you're telling me what it looks like how to please it it's weird like we're also i think overexposed to like women's bodies, more than men's bodies. So I remember growing up and being a young girl and, we, and even in my my early like adulthood, I think I found myself in my intimate situations, like staring at men's genitalia because I, like we were told about it and you know, you're supposed to please her to do these things, but like, what's it really look like? We were just have more images of, of women's bodies. And so as we get into adults, we still have, it's like a taboo topic when, when what you do in that bathroom, when you, when you close the door, you close your shower curtain It's not something, you know, you don't go around asking like, girl, how do you wash your coochie? Like, but JJ, do you wash from front to back, side to side? You know, we don't don't really talk about those things, you know. And so this product came about over one of those good old girl nights out to drinks. And it was basically because I was doing a a brother long distance. And this brother preferred more than the two finger landing strip that I was rocking with. Really? So that's that was my reaction. I was like, really? (laughs) Tell? Every time we
0: bring it up to guys, they go like this. Like they're <laughs> swimming. like they're. Swimming. Says, I'm swimming. like, because I started asking,
3: like, what uh, do you mean by that? What do you mean you like more hair? And he, would, he was playing like, I don't need like a bush out this way, this way. And I was like, okay, finding Nemo, what was happening? I was like, so, okay, so let me get this straight. So if I have on panties, you wouldn't mind seeing a little hair on the outskirts. He said, exactly. I said, well, I'll interesting. be Interesting. What happened? Wow. To him? He sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where is he at? Don't let him. Don't let him hear this interview, child. Oh no. <laughs> don't let him hear this one because you know they do tend to come on back around the block. I'm Wait, sure they do. Let me ask you though.
1: Let me and, and hopefully this isn't too intimate, but I kind of find. At least, like with the women that I'm dating, because I'm a lesbian, that like okay, you know, lesbian, like, <laughs> like you know, less hair the better. A lot of times, mm-hmm. had you ever dated a guy who who like was this the first time that
3: he kind of wanted more hair? I had never ha- dated a guy that had hair preference. Did was I aware that most men? It is in the rap songs, you know. A, a lot of rappers I've heard, I've heard it in a few different rapper songs, you know. I'm not going down there unless it's bare or like, right, 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 right. right, right. You know, not asking, you know, questions about like, why why is it there? Is this actually, you know, like a healthy thing for you? But nonetheless, this, this guy was able to express his preference. And so um, I went to drinks with my girls. I was in Chicago at the time with him. And I said, listen, I tell the girls the story. And I was like, man, you know, I guess, you know, are there any like products out there to like soften hair? I guess I'm going to have to do what I did in my teenage days. And everybody was like, what's that? I was like. So I asked the question at the table, I said, well, have any of you ever used your hair shampoo or conditioner on right. your?" So it's kind of funny and we're, you know, it's a lighthearted conversation and some are like, no, I've never, why would, who, why would you think to do that? Like, and then a few started to confess, like, yeah, I did that. I did that in my teenage days or yeah, I used to do it. And it was like, well, why? And it was the same, pretty much the same two categories. Either they were doing it for softness and somewhat of a scent and the others were using it in that area, but as a shave cream.
2: A friend of mine randomly has a waxing company and she said that conditioner is the most used product to use for shaving outside of shave cream.
3: Yes. And it's not healthy because number one, the ingredients aren't great. And then you're using it with your like open wound, like you're shaving. It was the biggest kept secret. It was the one thing that like everyone's doing it, but like no one talks about it. And so at the table, when it came up, it became funny and it became about, okay, well, like, what can we use? I was like, I guess I'm gonna have to make something. And the joke started that, okay, you know, what type of products will we make? And then Shampussy came up and then the whole night ruined. Where is Shampussy? We that just I decided would we should make a product called Shampussy. And, and I really, it stuck with, I'm a marketer too. And I woke up the next morning laughing and yes. thinking, I found myself on the phone. Like that's when I got the idea at the Shampussy. <laughs> that's where the idea was sparked over Rose. And the next morning it was a thing. And I kept researching for about four months before a friend helped us with a name. And uh, it was conditioned her. And three years later, we found a female biochemist who thought the idea was brilliant Love and that. to help us, told her that God showed her our aura and she was meant to help us and wanted nothing in return other than us for us to own our formula. So I, the idea came from me. I'm a marketer. I'm an idea person. Eugenia is the business, really smart, one of the two, finance, tech. And so we are perfect yin and yang to try and explore this Um Entrepreneurial journey, and it's been a blast over the last almost seven years to actually launching in June of 2019. Amazing, well, I mean,
1: congratulations on all your success! I mean, not only are you female run, you're, you're a black owned business, which is awesome. You were even named Black Women Business of the Year, I believe. We were in, in the, the skincare category, which is pretty incredible. So, that's yes. that's wonderful. I'm curious. For me, right, like, the reason we started this podcast called Scissoring Isn't a Thing is because Liz is bisexual, I'm a lesbian, and, like, this is what men would say to us when they'd be like, uh, how do women have sex? Like, it was like, we started doing it as, like, this play on words to be like, shut up, like, go online, like, it's, like, we're not doing this every two seconds. Like, for you guys, when you're marketing to men, like, what is your biggest barrier? Is it the fact that they don't really understand Female hygiene, are they intimidated by it? Like, what's the biggest struggle there being a, a female-led business maybe?
0: I think that the biggest struggle is that men are extremely logical. They're just logical by nature. And so when we first started trying to you know, solicit funders and get out there in the marketplace and try to get some funding, it was always this huge barrier because they just don't understand women. And they would immediately go to, this is like a sex toy or a sex product, like does it taste good? They never thought health and wellness, like that women have health and wellness concerns when it comes to products in that area. And so there was so much education that we would have to do because like Wendy said earlier, we're always taught how their bodies work, but they're not taught how our bodies work. Right. So there was this huge barrier. And like I said, in education, we we ran across that even with women and i'm um, getting them to understand their their bodies because the first thing that a woman will tell you is that i don't need anything down there i use water you know i use this i use that and um you know it's self cleaning well the vagina is self cleaning but that's the internal part but right. the vulva's not <laughs> you know it's right not, right 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 you know so you know it's just so much education that goes on with this product in general but with men it's on a whole nother level
1: And it's for all hair types, right? I mean, I know that you're kind of marketing it maybe specifically to black women. I know you've said it on your website, but like I can use this too, right? I mean, this
3: is actually we market to all women. This is okay. good. I'm very I'm saying this very just happen to be black. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say this very tongue in cheek because, you know, there's some sensitivities, but this is for all vulvas. You know what I mean. This is not a black vulva product. This is this happens to be an all somewhere where I don't mind the word all being in front of. So this is a vulva product, and so it's been such a journey going from having a goal of you know when we went into COVID before quarantine last year, you know that was we were six months into actually having. I mean, imagine having a product that is meant for the most intimate part of your body, as we thought that was our focus, really that area until the you know the benefits of inner thighs and chafing and underarm relief. But until those things were revealed by customers, you know, we were really focused on spreading education around, again, around the terminology and things and really selling one tube a day and then COVID hit. And, you know, Eugenia and I can talk about kind of, I, I mean, she can share. Yeah, exactly.
0: I, I wanted to share that because I love that she asked about us being Black and about it mm-hmm. being a, a Black product because it's interesting, you know, and I definitely want to share it here on this platform because I think it's a big deal for black female owners of companies that have products that actually work for people of all races not just their race. Yeah. But um this product we didn't actually come out as owners. Like if you look at our website when we originally designed it we didn't have our faces up as founders. That's what I was going to ask about. Right. Yeah. We were afraid that people would see two black women and say, "Oh, this is for kinky hair or this is for curly hair." And it's not. It's for any kind
3: of hair and it's for all skin. Well, I want to say, I want to say something quick. We weren't afraid because I'm never, and we ain't never scared. Don't ever get (laughs) it. We were just intentional. Strategic. Strategic. Yeah. You know, I'll speak for myself. If if Gina had fear, but I didn't, there was absolutely no fear. It just was being very conscious and very aware that racism exists in this country. Conscious and unconscious bias exists. There are going to be women and men that say, I would never buy that. What do those two black girls know about They're not doctors, they're not this, yet they'll buy the local coochie oil from Ms. So, who bought it from the shaman down the street. Like, right, right. exactly. They'll be like, oh, I have this new honey, this new um, hoo hoo honey oil. You know what I mean? But (laughs) we actually have a PhD biochemist who is not black. Although we're a black woman owned company, we are a diverse, owned, and operated group of women. But no, we like I said, it really wasn't a matter of being afraid. It was just being aware of the society we live in. Right. And we were intentional in in not using our faces as the owners of this brand. And the fact that we had to do that in 2021 and, you know, the owners of Jet and Ebony and Essence and those folks were doing that back whenever those magazines and those businesses were founded, that we still are conscious and aware that as black business owners, we have to think about that. Yeah, we will be judged based on that alone, regardless of the quality of. Or how cute or that an awesome black woman named Kendra Dandy designed this little tube here.
2: But did you feel like during COVID it gave you an opportunity? It's interesting because I know, you know, you and I both work in marketing. And what was positive, I felt like, out of the pandemic is that consumers really wanted to know where their products came from and they wanted to know who the two of you were and they wanted to know. Right. You know what I mean? And when we're sitting, you know, at home and we're ordering online, we had the time to go on people's websites and actually read about us and all of those things. Did you feel like that COVID actually gave you this opportunity to be like, actually, no, like now we want to show who we are, go on all these platforms and talk about it.
0: Definitely. The pandemic, especially when, you know, when everything happened with with George Floyd, it, it opened up an opportunity and it was a weird feeling for us as Black women and mothers of Black sons. We're not just out here, you know, as entrepreneurs and probably the most important title that we hold is that we're mothers and we're mothers of Black boys. So that whole incident um, was just really emotional, just as mothers, you know, first and foremost. And it presented an opportunity for us to be the face of our, you know, of our company. And I'm, I remember Wendy calling me, uh, you know, because she was really conflicted because she is a marketer. And, you know, these opportunities and things were opening up and people were trying to push people to embrace and to support Black businesses. And, you know, it was conflicting, you know, internally because it's like, okay, this is a moment in history that we'll never forget. This is yep. something that's hitting home because we are the mothers of Black boys. And it's putting our company in a space to where we can actually get the exposure that we've always deserved. It wasn't like we just deserved it in this moment, but we've always deserved an opportunity to showcase our product. And so Wendy was like, you know what? Most people don't even know how to, to support a black business. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna use our platform to basically push out a messaging to say, okay, this is how you can help a black business. Even if you don't buy a product, you know what? Share one of their posts, do one of these things. And we, we worked on that. We got that and we started pushing it out there. And, you know, things just started coming back to us because we were, I feel like we were in the right space as business owners and as Black women and as a Black-owned business. And um, the opportunities just started
3: coming up everywhere. So I will mention three things that happened during COVID that were impactful Four. So I want to run back to our goal as of January 2020 was, OK, one to two tubes a day again very small goal. Small goal. Right. Our profit margins are great. We can take our time with this. You know, we're not in a rush. We both work full time. We, we, we can do this thing. Uh, then COVID hits in March. And the first thing we did was revamp what we were. We, we planned to roll out a podcast like you guys. What we did is we took that to IG Live and we started uh, a weekly IG Live series called Conversations. Mm. And What we did, we were like, okay, we're a one tube skew. We can't be posting the tube every damn day. Like, look at this tube, go buy us. Like, that's not going to work. We've got to build community, find community. That's going to be the most important things. We've got to let them know that we are like them. We still had not revealed ourselves as a Black-owned company yet. Um, That didn't come, honestly, until George Floyd and Blackout Tuesday. So we're talking about March. March. We jumped in with the IG Live series. And we had everyone on from budget coaches, to real estate agents, sex workers, shout out to all the sex workers who had to like readjust their lives. Massively had to readjust their lives
2: to that. that.
3: We had just just like a multitude of people on um, during that time with just different backgrounds. And so other uh, women owned businesses like us. And that really started to create community for us. That happened. Then George Floyd was murdered. And we kind of went radio silent, like Eugenia said, because I felt conflicted because the move was, again, everyone's sharing black owned businesses. And it just felt really weird. It was like a beautiful disaster. It just felt really weird to potentially profit based on the death, like kind of like white guilt.
1: It's like coming out as black for like a business purpose. It just felt like weird. Like,
3: do I want this money? Is this blood money? Like it felt weird to me. Yeah. And we paused. And then, um, Eugenia, you said it was my idea. I don't know why I think that was your idea. I'll take it. Well, it was,
0: it was your conflict, but we worked it out together. Right. We put that
3: manifesto out. And so that, that was the second thing, the George Floyd. So the third thing was the enormous amounts of people. I'm talking about 13 year old little white boys. Sharing us, I'm looking at like, IG story, like in these kids' stories, like they were just Love sharing. a 13 year old white boy. Right? share That's about to 13 year old white boys, right? You know what I mean? Oh,
2: change right? the future, because I don't Auntie like. Auntie Wendy said, "Thank you." I like because right. I don't. I don't like most
3: white male adults, so <laughs> if, uh, we could change. Listen, I've dated a few in my past. I've dated a few. <laughs> um, I got a more experience. than me
2: probably Wendy, That's let me tell you.
3: Listen, we we talk, your wife is fine though. I'm we got a whole another conversation. I've been on y'all social media. And your husband is fine, okay? Oh, thank fine, you. So thank you. Well, order. I dated
2: a lot of very fine black men before
3: oh. her. So she did should she she have passed, passed them work. over to me. Where are they now? Let's do a where They're are around. they now? They're you? around. <laughs> Help me check for them, girl. But
1: anyway. <laughs> you guys are going to be our best friends after this. Yes. Yeah, girl
3: check. We need yeah. drinks for sure. But yes. what happened was Danielle Brooks, who played Tasty on, oh, Orange. Of course, on Orange is the New Black. She, a friend, one of our best besties, Shawana, AKA Be Beautiful LA on IG, beautiful IG account. If you ladies wanna go see some beautiful blackness. Um, but her and Danielle were friends. And I think she'd been telling Danielle about the product and like, they, they wanna send it to you. They'll send it to you. And she, was, she wouldn't say anything. One day I noticed she started liking things on the page. I was like, oh Danielle's on our page. So I'm sending her messages like, we'd love for you to have it. Can I ship it to you? She sent a smiley face back. I was like, oh damn, that wasn't an address though. And a few weeks later we got a purchase from a Danielle uh, in a certain part of the country. And I was like, this is her. So I packaged it really nice. I went and bought a card and added oh, I love that. and sent it and didn't hear anything for a few months until blackout Tuesday rolled around. And she created a list of I think her top fifty black owned businesses, and she listed us as number one. Whether that was in a chronological order or just divine, God that counts. Number one is number one. That counts. Yep. Our account blew up, and we were we went from like wishing at the top of the year for you know a, a couple sales a day to like a massive out, and it changed the game for us so much so that a company. Called Schoolhouse New York, uh, a beauty marketing agency, reached out to us and their give back was to provide a thousand marketing hours to a few I love it. beauty businesses. And we were a recipient and they completely helped us revamp our mission statement, our color scheme. Like it was wow. like there's no way we had a, a, we could have afforded that in the moment. And it just was that beautiful disaster kind of really put our business on track to really play. Get in the game and play with those that have made it before us. And now we're here. It really takes us telling the story of where this came from and being telling folks like, listen, follow your dreams. We were not gynecologists. We are not scientists Sure, that had an idea. We were passionate about it. We kept digging and we found a way in a
1: weird, bittersweet way. It's kind of nice to see good things come out of COVID in this last year and, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and everything, you know, Liz and I often talk about, because pride's upon us, uh, how companies, you know, they'll put the rainbow flag out for the month of June, but then it's kind of like, all right, you're just capitalizing on something that you feel like you. it's like virtue signaling. Like you feel like you should be capitalizing on it. So then it stops like, What was that shift for you where it's like, no, we should be this black owned business. We should come out saying that we're a black owned business. We should feel proud of it. Like, did you see the culture really shifting towards that where you felt super confident that despite what you look like, people are going to like your product because your products bomb? Like, is that where you guys are at now? OK, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I think it got us to the place where we just didn't even care anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah which is a good you know, thing, I guess, right? Like that's, I guess, progress. But I would say
2: like, I I, I think what's interesting, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier is that I think there is a collective shift, I'm hoping in consciousness to be conscious about what you're purchasing, to be conscious about like, whatever. I'm like looking at my doggy treats right next to me. I know that these are like by these small batched people and they don't put grain in it. I don't know. Like everything I look at, I go to the farmer's market because I am a nerd, but I also love talking to all of these incredible farmers. I love that dialogue between what I have in my home and what I put on my body and what I put inside my body with the person that's making it. And so I'm really hoping that that just continues because I do think people really care. I think they do want to know do. the two of you. And I think that's what's so great, you know, kind of about today versus maybe a few years ago.
1: And it doesn't hurt that you're both good looking. Doesn't hurt. Well, thank you. Uh, thank
2: you. Thank you. Where can our listeners find you guys? Can you give us the whole lay of the land, where to follow, where to buy? Well, Tell us start everything. And
3: Gina can finish. The, you can find us on Clubhouse. We do have a club if you find. You can either search our club conversations, just like the word conversations, but we threw the C-O-N-V-H-E-R stations in there. And G, you want to fill them in on the rest?
0: Well, I wanted to piggyback on something you said, Liz, earlier, you know, just like you have those intimate relationships with the people at the, you know, when you go to the farmer's market, we've developed those intimate relationships with our community. And so one of the places you can find us is on Instagram. And Wendy manages that community. We are direct to consumer. So when you buy a product from us, you are buying it from your girls. I it love it. Directly, that money is coming directly to us at our website. We use Shopify and uh, you can go to conditionher.com. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, Condition
3: her and all those places as well. When you head to conditionher.com, there's an awesome 40% pre-order discount. There that will last up until um, a few weeks before the delivery is set. And after that goes away, um, there will be a standing um, 20 percent off discount with scissoring. And that's
2: a perfect segue. Use scissoring because we have Mike Heslin on the show this week. Mike is an he's an incredible actor, writer, producer. He is the Amazon prime hit show, the influencers. And I guarantee you that there are a lot of gay men listening to this episode. So if you are a gay man and you want soft pubes or you have a little situation with the beard, you better order condition her because it's going to help. And G and W, I'm shortening the names now. We're
1: on first, we're on first oh, letter okay. basis. Okay. Yes. We're yes. cool now. Thank you so much for coming on Scissoring thank and thing. and congratulations to all your continued success. We can't wait to see more of you
3: guys. Thank you for having us, ladies. Oh, thank you guys. you're proud,
1: right? I think so. I think you are. I certainly am. And that's why I actually really want to talk to you about this six-part documentary series coming out on FX. FX's Pride is a six-part documentary series chronicling the struggle for LGBTQ civil rights in America from the 1950s through the 2000s. Six renowned LGBTQ directors explore heroic and heartbreaking stories that define us as a nation. Each episode makes use of its own unique storytelling devices used to explore the hidden history of the LGBTQ community, ranging from reenactments to archival footage to deeply moving personal interviews. FX's Pride explores topics which you might not be very familiar with, such as the FBI's surveillance of homosexuals during the Lavender Scare in the 1950s, while also taking a closer look at the more widely reported AIDS epidemic of the 1980s and the cultural wars of the 1990s. The impact of these events has inspired and galvanized many within the LGBTQ plus community to create policies and organizations that still fight for equality today. FX's six-part documentary series,
2: Pride, is now streaming FX on Hulu. I want to introduce Mike Heslin, who is... One of our, I guess we've had actors in the past, but you and I are really excited because we have some like actor, actor-y questions, director, yes. writer-y specific questions. Your bio, Mike, is out of control. It is yeah. three pages long. So this morning, oh, no.
1: I, I- So we hate morning, you because you're an overachiever.
2: <laughs> okay. Tell me if I've hit all the beats. So listeners, we have Mike Heslin today and he has created and stars in the mockumentary comedy series, The Influencers. Which is on Amazon Video now live. This is also his directorial debut. You were also born in California like me, but you were primarily raised in Arizona. Mike is a natural or nature lover, excuse me, but also a natural nature lover. And uh, he prefers to spend his time hiking or on the water. He is a huge animal lover and activist. Uh- Focusing uh. his energy on conservation efforts in his spare time. Uh, you are also passionate about LGBTQ plus issues. You are a supporter of Broadway Cares, The Trevor Project, which both Darren and I love. I mean, and then it just keeps on going and going and going. Hold on. You also star, which I've watched in Boyfriends, which you can all watch on YouTube, which I highly recommend. 9 million views. Vanity Fair loved it. I mean, Vanity Fair. I'm gonna just stop because it's now I'm getting overwhelmed. How did I do, Mike?
4: Um, You killed it and I feel like you made me sound a lot fancier than I am or feel. So um, thank you for that gift. Um, I was
1: gonna say, you know, you know, you've made it when in your bio, it says what you do in your spare time. Like (laughs) I wish I could have a line in my bio, like in my spare time, I watch a fuck ton of reality TV and smoke a lot of weed, but you're like trying to save the environment. You know what I mean? I mean, like that's, you know, you've made it, my man. I'm just saying, congrats on that. I
4: appreciate (laughs) that. I feel like I should have two bios because the truth is like, a what spare time it is limited um and also like i am a reality tv addict i also partake in the edibles especially before bed so my know, I, I just, oh saying, my god like,
2: we are cut from the same cloth us three right here <laughs> I like
4: it. i'm so excited thanks Have for you having thought
2: me. about having
1: children of course oh yeah oh no okay <sighs> go ahead liz
2: how tall are you
4: uh, six foot
2: Oh,
1: OK. She's well, asking for your sperm, Mike. That's what she's doing. OK, in a <laughs> roundabout way, she's legitimately asking for your sperm. She doesn't care about your age, sex location, except for her future fucking children.
2: OK, that's I it. I mean, we would have really blonde, blue, green eyed babies. It's <laughs> not <laughs> terrible.
4: Seriously. I mean, we can talk. I'm the oldest of five. So I grew up in a huge Ooh. family. So I want kids. I want to see little Hesslins out there. So, uh, yeah,
2: let's do that. Ooh, <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Typically, people are like, "Mm, but you really went for it. I love it. (laughs) I I have a
1: feeling this interview is going to be about five minutes before I get annoyed with Liz asking (laughs) me with your sperm. But we will continue uh, for the sake of content here. Now, Mike, uh, not sure if you ever heard our podcast before, but we usually start off after reading these amazing bios, uh, how you identify. And uh, I was wondering if you would be willing to answer that, how you identify sexually. And uh, if you don't want to answer, also state why.
4: No, I'm happy to. So I'm a cisgender, queer, gay person, filmmaker, reality TV addict, and yeah, very gay. I
1: <laughs> very gay. I you're like the first that. person to combine in reality TV, so you're hitting all my buttons here right well, now, which I is kind good.
4: Of you have to put some fun in there. But yeah, they, I yeah. mean, I, I guess I should say that I'm not a gold star gay, but I'm quite gay.
2: Are you also going to tell us that you had a child? Because that happened. No. Yes, episode. that did happen. It definitely happened. So, yeah, um, that was wild. And
4: no children that I know of, but like no well, children
2: that you know of. Uh, mm. That could change. Do you have a coming out? Did you come out? Uh, and if you did, do you mind kind of talking to us about that
4: process? Yeah, yeah. So, so I was born in California, but primarily grew up in Arizona. I grew up in a very Catholic, conservative, Republican family. I went to Catholic school fun. for years. Yes, yeah, so much fun. What a great time. Um, more on that later. Uh, no, Blood of so,
2: Christ. Love the crackers.
4: <laughs> yeah, I have some good Catholic school stories. Someday I'm like, I should make a film about that. But I don't know if it's a, yes. a comedy. T- TBD. Uh, a little bit about. Anyway, um, yeah, so I didn't really... I mean, I knew I was like gay when I was like four years old. Like I have a formative memory. Uh, One of my earliest memories is uh, being like in the car with my dad and being like, well, I'm going to marry whoever my best guy friend was at the time. And like I from an early age, I picture myself like settling down with like a boy, you know, and I remember him being like, no, we don't do that. And we've come all. We are super close. We've had quite a journey. But so, you know, I kind of was like, oh, oh, okay. so we don't do that. So I didn't actually end up coming out till I was like 18 and out of the house. I left Arizona and got into uh, an acting conservatory called Boston Conservatory. And um, Mm -hmm. I lived my little gay life over there and kind of found myself. uh, And I guess I came out like to myself around the end of high school. Like I knew, like, I'm not straight and like I've been suppressing this thing and I didn't have the language for it. And then. Spending all that time in Boston for college was really, I'd say, where like I found myself, and then I came out to my family like two years later.
1: There's a lot to break down here. First off, <laughs> let's start with you having that just four-year-old thought, which you know it's funny because. I do think that's where, and maybe not, and maybe this is conjecture, but I do think this is where a little bit women get away with things that maybe boys can't. Because if I said to my parents when I was four, like, I'm going to marry Liz, you know, I feel like my parents might've just taken that. And granted, my parents are very open and, and accepting and all that, but I feel like my parents would have been like, well, of course, you know, she's your best friend. Like, obviously you want to marry your best friend, but when a boy is saying that, like, you're like, oh no, like this is not socially like right. acceptable. This feels something bigger than just girls playing with girls, you know boys playing with boys did you get that at all or would you think that if you were a girl your parents would have had the exact same reaction
4: no I don't think they would have had the same reaction and I also want to like preface this I mean this is fun because I don't really talk have gone to talk about this stuff like publicly um but I preface this with uh, I have the most amazing family we are thickest course uh, now and we've had like quite the journey but no I mean when I was young uh I, I don't think it would have been the same if I was a girl and
2: because you think they would have just kind of, to Darren's point, just thought it was like girls being girls, as I, opposed to it being
4: more. It's serious. not a hard
1: rule, but I find societally no, that does. No, I think track.
4: so, and uh, you know, I think it's also because there were like other signs. Like I was I, I was, I was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz and like Judy Garland at four years old. You know, ah. so they were. Like, <laughs> There are telling signs that I think so once I maybe had said that, that was like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I think it was like, I don't want to say a red flag, but I I think it registered differently. But I do think there's a double standard there. I think that still kind of persists, like even, you know, for adults, like members, women.
1: And when you heard that from your dad, did you how did you process that at four? And did you take that and be like, oh, I'm not going to have these thoughts anymore? Did you take it like, no, our religion says that being gay is a sin or however the language was said to you what was that process
4: yeah you know i mean catholicism is really strict i you know and i still now i consider myself a very spiritual person obviously i kind of rebelled against the church i have a lot of issues with that but it's really strict and they do teach like you know if you actually I don't even know if at the time they said it was OK to be gay, but but I, I feel like it was kind of like along the lines of like you hate the sin, not the sinner. Um, sure. And so you can't act on it and all that. Um, so I think it kind of internalized that for, you know, until I was about 17 or 18. But... To be honest, I also was like kind of a punk as a kid. Like I was feisty. Like I was always debating my parents and getting into like arguments, especially like with theology, I would like be challenging everything and being like, well, that makes no sense. Like that logically does not make sense. And like, if God, you. you know. parents
2: having an orgasm right now as I just saw her eyes like
4: widen. I was she loves like, it. <sighs>
2: a skeptic questioning santa claus out there
1: thank you sir i really appreciate
4: it yeah you are in good company (laughs) yes i mean like i would get in like (laughs) raging debates with my family especially about like religion and politics and i grew up the, the thing was you know i grew up in this conservative catholic family but i i was doing like community and children's theater since i was like five or six years old so While I'm in Arizona, I was slowly introduced to gay and lesbian people, although I didn't understand what that was when I was young. So at the same time, I also grew up with this friend group or in these uh, theater circles where that was totally normal. Like I didn't even understand what that was or have that language until, I don't know, like middle school, you know, when I realized like, oh, that means this. So, yeah, I think I I did internalize it and I think, you know, I really pushed against it, I, especially in high school. I went through a phase where I was like, I mean, I genuinely do love country music, but I went through a phase where I was like, I'm going to go to college in Alabama and I'm going to marry a woman. And I was listening to like so much country and I had a real southern phase. The Country
2: music is what kicks it for me to like the a different. Alabama's level. what kicks it for
1: me, okay, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep,
2: Wait, yep did, yeah. You you say that you weren't a gold star gay. Yeah. Did you have girlfriends then or not really?
4: Oh, yeah. I all of high school, yeah. Yeah.
2: But and- you but I mean, I not not to get too personal, but were you having premarital sex, which is something that most devout Catholics are super against as well?
4: Yeah, no, I certainly was. And I guess I should um, delineate that I grew up in a very Catholic, conservative family. But like I said, I was rebelled pretty hard. It. Against it, and I was mm-hmm. kind of an asshole, not an asshole, but I was like sneaking out and like, you know, doing all the things in high school. So I myself was not a devout Catholic. I just came home to that environment.
2: But were your parents like, I mean, if they had found out that you were also having sex in high school, would they have, would they have been pretty upset? regardless oh, if it was a woman or not.
4: Yeah, yeah. We got in a fight my senior year of high school because I was going to college and I wanted to get an apartment with my one of my best friends from high school who was a girl. We weren't together or anything. Also, at that time, I like was saying I was bi, which was just a phase. I am not bisexual. <laughs> um, but we got in a fight because they were like, no, you can't live with a woman. Like, I, We don't care if it's just friends. Like, You don't do that. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, if they had known that, and that would have not gone over well either.
1: Are any of your other siblings, you said you're one of five. Are they any queer or are they all cishet? What any? Yeah,
4: no. Are you the only one? I'm the only one. But what's really exciting. I mean, I I guess I'm not saying who it is. So it's not outing anyone. But there is a, a a cousin or two who's uh, recently come out. Um, so that's a queer cousin. Out.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I got, I got one of those myself and I'm like the, uh, he's my Gaby that I am ushering into this world. You know, you mentioned that you kind of came out, re-came out in a weird way to your parents. Once you left, is that, was that always your plan? Did you only feel comfortable once you left? Did you ever struggle with wanting to talk about this sooner rather than later? Was it a safety issue? What was your thought?
4: Not so much a safety issue, but I definitely thought at the time, especially like, you know, once I went to college, in Boston, and like I said, it was an acting conservatory. So like ninety-eight percent of the men were gay, you know. Um right. And it was a very totally different, liberating, uh, liberal environment. So it wasn't a safety thing, but definitely, like, I genuinely thought, you know, like this is it. They're gonna kick me out. They're not gonna talk to me again. And I, you know, I got my first like college boyfriend, and so like after a year of that, I was like, oh god, I gotta come out to them. And I thought about it long and hard. And it was really hard. It didn't go over great, but I think what the coolest thing is and what I'm the most proud of about like the whole story and about my family is that I see that now. And I think they would agree is like, that was really the start of our family's relationship or perhaps like the next chapter, because I really, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but the one thing I will say that I've contributed to my family is I think that forced us all it it, it was a rocky like first two years but it forced us to start having like real honest conversations and and have vulnerable conversations that Catholics usually don't have and just like kind of like push down and we you know I think in general no matter uh if you're gay straight whatever I think you re-meet your parents like in your early 20s maybe yeah as adults as adults and fellow human beings you know So it really started that. And I think it also, I hope helps, you know, make it easier for my siblings just in terms of communication. So our story is interesting, I think, just because it's could not be more night and day from where we are now. And I think it shows that, you know, there's hope. And especially like I talk to other like queer people or, or especially like people younger than me who are afraid and like, you know, they'll never accept me or, uh, my family's so conservative and I totally get that struggle, but I mean, not for, you know, not for everyone, of course, uh, but there is hope often and things not to hit a cliche over the head, but do get better. Usually, you know,
2: the film that you just put together, the influencers, which really hits me because I worked in influencer marketing really early on in the day with all a lot of YouTubers and it was, you know, Darren knows PTSD. Yeah. Um, So we can get to that in a minute. But that and Boyfriends, which you star in, which is super fun, which is about two college roommates. One is gay, one is straight and all the fun things that kind of happen between the two of them. It's pretty like gay, queer content, which is great because we need more of that. Right. Darren and I talk about that a lot. Have your parents watched those pieces of work like how do they feel about seeing you like yes they know you as your their gay son but it's also kind of a little different to like see their gay actor son be super gay on screen like how did they react if they watched those pieces
4: Yeah, no, so they, I mean, they truly are like my biggest supporters now, even even if they don't understand it. And also, I also, I, which we can talk more about that if you like. The, um, the idea for influencers came from, I also worked for a social media agency for a while between. Oh, now. I know.
2: I read the article. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, yes. I saw director of social media. I know. I so got we it. You can
4: commune over, you know,
2: it's awful. People if she's going to get
1: your sperm, Mike, she's got to have the receipts and the background well, check on you. I That's think all I'm saying.
2: It's interesting on other shows, I talk more about it. But I mean, the world of influencer marketing is so dark. It can be positive, but it was fun. You know, you kind of mix like Big Brother. So I'm assuming your love of reality TV with influencer marketing and kind of mash them all together and put them in a film, which is awesome.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much well so first of all yeah my parents they are super supportive they watch all of influencers and they've been bragging about it and like telling all their friends but the best part is especially once we were done with post-production and i, I showed them the trailer they watch and they could see i was very excited and then they look at me and it was that look of like how do we tell them it's like not good and i was like oh god you don't like it And they're like we don't get it. What's an influencer? And I was like, don't worry about it. Just share it with your friends. I promised like my sister and brother who are like 20 and 23. I was like, Anna and Tim and their friends like it. Like we tested it with them, but they, <laughs> they didn't know how to break it to me. But no, they 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 love it. They're super supportive. Boyfriends was a little different. They I, yeah. I let them see most of it. But, you know, there's a scene at the end that I was like, let's just end it here.
2: Is it a sex scene? Spoil it for us.
4: Yeah, there's a gay sex scene at the end that goes awry and uh you know gay sex is complicated and can sometimes be messy and my uh my business partner who is the the star in that uh noah mash we really wanted to show like a real gay experience it's it's a comedic like twist at the end but but that was something i was like you know mom and dad don't have to see like every second of this
1: Just kind of piggybacking off of this idea of like influencers, social media, obviously all three of us need to use social media as a tool for us personally, but also professionally. And I think all three of us benefit from that gravely. And I'm curious for you if you if social media existed in the form that it exists today but 20 years ago. So let's say at the beginning of 2000, kind of coming off, you know, a decade after the AIDS crisis where gay marriage certainly wasn't really even on the docket, you know, the Clintons weren't for it. This was this this wasn't every democrat just assumed that, you know, gay marriage was a thing. This was something that people were certainly fighting for. Do you think that people would have come around to LGBTQ issues or gay marriage sooner if social media existed earlier? Or do you think that it kind of came at the right time and people needed to come out first kind of, you know, one-on-one to their family, as opposed to coming out all over Instagram or Twitter? What do you think about that?
4: Part of me is like, yes, I think if social media had existed earlier, it might have helped because the thing is, and you know, I've encountered this with my own family and, you know, people in Arizona, it's like, Yeah. And I think it's the way in a lot of more conservative southern states, it's like if you don't know a single person in our community, like it's just so foreign to you and it's so easy to be like afraid of it and to box it you know and then the second like your son or your friend or your whatever comes out it's a whole different ball game you know it's like you you need that exposure you need the um it needs to be personal in a way so i do sure. feel like by it being more prevalent in our culture uh whether seeing it on social media obviously the past decade uh it, i think uh in terms of TV film it's changed quite a bit you know there's like lgbtq representation in most shows now and i think that is It's all kind of helping have those conversations. So I do think it would have helped, but also, you know, I mean, social media is such a a double edged sword. It's like kind of a necessary, you know, I do argue that it does some good. Like, I think it brings about ultimately connection. Like, I do love, you know, staying in touch with like people from back home or high school or or maybe distant family members that I totally would have lost touch with. But, you know, obviously, especially like last year with the election and you know, it can be super polarizing as well
1: just have a quick follow-up and, and sorry to interrupt, Liz, because I know we kind of go back and forth, but I yeah. think this is actually perfectly appropriate time for it. But, you know, you mentioned that there's at least a decent amount of LGBTQ plus representation out there in the media, whether TV, film. But I'm curious what you think about appropriating, and I'm using air quotes because I'm not really quite sure the type of term for it or, or comfortable uh, term for it yet, but appropriating a role. Uh, do you care if like a heterosexual played a gay guy or vice versa, if you, an out gay man, were going to play a heterosexual or let's say trans or something like that. How do you feel about that in the acting world and playing the role as the proper representation of what that actor truly
4: is? I mean, that's also tricky. I think it's a nuanced conversation because we don't want to be like, well, you know, only straight people can play straight roles. Obviously that's, you know, we don't want to be that extreme, but at the same time, it's like, because there's been so many decades where there hasn't been any representation, or like especially if you are not a very masculine, act, you know, it's it's like there weren't as many roles for you uh, or opportunities, and if there were, maybe they were like stereotypes. So right. it's like, well, we in a way, it's, we also have to make up for that and for lost time, and be like, so these communities and these people now have opportunities and roles that never existed so like of course they i i do think should be considered first because i don't really buy the argument that it's like oh well like timothy chalamet and uh call me by your name sure um he's incredible you know and i i really enjoyed his performance but i also don't buy the argument like he's the only person who could have done that role like i guarantee there's a million gay or queer actors who could have so you know i don't think it's black and white i think it is nuanced um but i do think that especially you know i love pose and especially like for like trans actors and stuff they absolutely should be considered for those opportunities and in that case honestly the only ones who should be playing them and then in terms of like you know gay or lesbian roles a little bit more flexibility but i think Studios and execs should be, you know, really going out of their way to embrace like queer talent first.
2: As a writer and a director, as well as being an actor, you are intimately involved, obviously, with how you're framing up the story. And I can imagine that that would also kind of bleed into casting. Kind of a twofold question here. I know a lot of casting directors and they look at socials. Like, Social media matters when you're getting cast for things, right? I think some studios look at actors and their social media. If they have big numbers, it's also a way of gaining audiences in a crowded market, et cetera. Do you care about people's socials when you're, if you're involved in the casting process, like with something like influencers?
4: I personally don't. I mean, you know, I, I think it doesn't hurt if someone has a big following, you know, it's like if I cast someone or I mean, truthfully at this point, I, with influencers, it was kind of half and half. Like I kind of just wrote roles for my friends and then half we cast. Okay. Um, well, you know, if, if one of them does have a big following, that certainly doesn't hurt in terms of spreading word of mouth. But no, I don't think that's a, I don't see that as like a necessary criteria at all, you know, because I'm like, ultimately you want the best person for the role period. And we all have very different opinions on social media and how much we want to participate in it. So no, but you know, it's, it, it is funny. I watch a lot of like a uh, Hollywood reporter, like round tables and listen to a bunch of industry podcasts. And you do hear so many casting directors being like, Oh, I don't look at that at all. I don't look at that at all. But then like, I go to an audition and they're like, what's your handle? How many followers do you have? And I'm like, uh-huh. You know. But you have right, a pretty exactly. decent
2: following, so do you feel like it's helped you? I mean,
4: yes, you know, I'm not yeah. going to lie. Like it, it it has certainly opened it's not that it's gotten me roles, you know, or like I was cast over someone else because of it, but I will say, you know, it has helped open doors and honestly more so in the director producer side. It's really kind of helped open doors and allowed me to network because I kind of just see myself and my production company. It's just like a little queer engine that could, you know, we're we're, we're relatively new. You know, we've been making stuff for the past four years, but, you know, we're, we're still new. Um, So it has helped to kind of open doors that I don't even know how I would have gotten to or knocked on previously. Um, So, you know, I'm also not going to lie and be like, oh, no, it doesn't matter. It's not going to do anything for you. But, you know, I like we've said, it is a double edged sword. So I also don't want that to like be all consuming, be like, oh, I got to post every day, you know, to like get anywhere because that's exhausting.
1: Are there any roles in your as the actor? are, Are there any roles that you would refuse to play?
4: I don't think so. You know, you because I think of like things that are maybe controversial or would be really hard to play, you know, just like would really like kind of bother my soul. But I, can, I think it depends on the story. Like I think of, um, correct me if I'm messing this up, wasn't it Sarah Paulson in 12 Years a Slave? She, you know, like oh, yeah.
2: I don't think I don't know if she was twelve years a slave, but maybe I know the movie, movie, but I don't think, remember. Sarah I think Paulson. I was so traumatized, also yeah. with intense white guilt, while watching that film, that I was like, <laughs> oh my
4: god, like
2: what is this country
4: that we live in? No, 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 hundred percent. And I might be messing this up, but I believe she played a racist, offensive character. So I think it would be hard to play something, you know, or some you know, something, uh, a character that like hated and abused gay people. I don't know. But if it ultimately- you were right, it was her. You were right. It was okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, Who's also queer?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, is. I'm obsessed with her. But you know, it's like I I, I don't know, because if it ultimately was telling a really necessary good story or like spreading a message that the world needs to hear right now. Like maybe I would do it. I don't know. It's so hard, but no, I can't think of anything right off the bat that I would say absolutely no to. I think it would be more about what can I go to bed? Good with myself. Is this like doing some good? Is this spreading something that I strongly stand behind? Even if like the character might be like really hard to kind of dive into or get, you know, into that psyche.
2: Is there a role currently right now that you're like, I could totally play that better. That should have been me. Anything. Ooh. like dream shoot for the stars vibes
4: well i think the first thing that comes to mind is like i typically get like kind of typecast as like the best friend or like the nice guy or like kind of like a douchey like frat guy sometimes but it's typically like very like nice characters like the good guy in some some way you know even if they're kind of like foolish, but so I I think what I'd love to do and what I think I could do really well is play like a really like kind of fucked up villain. You know, I love Mm. thrillers and even like American horse story, like stuff. I like love that kind of stuff. So I don't think I I so far haven't gotten uh, so many opportunities to do that, but I think I could kill like, like a, you know,
1: like a yeah. Jared Leto role in like Requiem for a Dream, you might have totally. like
2: ace or like Dude. Andrew Connannon. Oh,
4: yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. From Ryan or, Murphy's oh, production yes. of that, right? Jared yeah. 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 Chris was
2: fabulous. as Andrew yeah. Connannon, yeah. but Andrew Connannon is so fucking nuts. I think that would be a really fun role to play. Anyway, okay. So we, we we're putting it out into the ether that you want to be. Um, a villain. In your Given mix. the
1: fact that you are a media consumer and producer at the same time, you know, you watch a lot of reality. I'm sure, you know, you can name a cool moment that we could talk about of like, uh, you know, real world and all that stuff, your first gay sort of character on screen. But, you know, Liz and I often talk about how basically like if you are a, a female who is at least partially into women, like you've seen the L word, like the L word is like your education growing up. Like regardless of the writing, regardless of the acting, we all love it because it was us. And it was the first time I personally ever saw something that was literally not only all about women, but literally not about men at all. And that was very interesting to me. What were you watching growing up that maybe you felt like was a really good thing for gay men or representation of gay men? Or what's your like Bible that the L word might be to us?
4: It's funny the way you talk about L, the L word is how I kind of think a lot of gay guys look at queer as folk. You know? I
1: was just going to say it's probably yeah. queer as folk, I would imagine. That's the other one that kind of gets mentioned a lot.
4: Yeah, yeah. That's one of the the earliest ones. I mean, it's so interesting because it's like as a, it, when I was younger, there wasn't much. And then there was Will and Grace. And it was like seeing Will mm. and Jack was like transformative for me, you know, because they're funny and vibrant, and, but then and then queerest folk. The as the older I was getting, queerest folk was like the racy or one that I would like sneak and watch like, like when my parents weren't around, you know. Yeah. And so I, I I think it was that. Yeah. I mean, it was just so. Does
1: queerest folk still hold up today in 2021?
4: Not a hundred percent, but it, it's overall it still holds up. Uh, funny enough, I, I rewatched it like uh, six months ago and I was like, yeah, this is still good. I mean, it's definitely it's a little bit dated, but it's still like, I don't know, I think in terms of LGBT canon, it's still classic.
2: I know. Well, Dar- Darren and I both rewatched The L Word while it is still kind entertaining to up. watch. Yeah. <laughs> it like barely holds up. It is there. I'm like, whoa, this is. First of all, these women are bad. mean and, yeah. a, and yeah. a lot of them are so unlikable. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. We're talking about
1: the original L word, by the way, not Generation Q, which yeah, is not the one that, that kind Q. of we're talking about the original one or whatever. What did you think? Did you watch Looking on HBO, Mike?
4: Oh, yeah, I, I did. I did. Did yeah, you like I that? I
1: watched it as well and I enjoyed it. But from a gay man's perspective, I was wondering what you thought about that.
4: I loved it because, yeah, absolutely, I, I was just, A, so happy to see that on our screens, you know, yeah. So yeah. that was like a huge deal. And I liked it because it was like having real conversations and really kind of portraying a more realistic ver, not version, but pl- really portraying reality, you know, I think Again, Will and Grace was great, but that, you know, that can kind of be, you know, people could say Jack is a bit of a caricature. I mean, Sean Hayes is fucking brilliant, but you know what I mean? Like, I think that was the first time I saw people talking about open relationships. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many colors, shapes, forms and different sorts of relationships within our community. And that was kind of the first time I ever saw that talked about. So, yeah, I thought it was huge. I felt like in the gay community, there was kind of a split, like people were either obsessed or they were like, that's not my experience. I don't like, you know, and and I've pushed against it. And I I was I liked it. I wasn't obsessed, but I had such tremendous respect for it just happening and for like putting these conversations like on a, you know, a public platform.
1: The movie was
2: weird. The movie, the, movie was, the movie was a little weird. Although I, I'm glad they finished oh,
1: it up with something because I felt yeah. like it ended a little too abruptly. I so I was oh, glad I that HBO brought something back. And I love Jonathan Groff. Did you yes. ever see Prom on Netflix?
4: Yes, you Ryan Murphy's Prom.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Because I'm curious yeah, what you yeah. think about James Corden's portrayal as a gay man.
4: So that didn't bother me. People were up in arms about that, and I thought he yes. was so good. the The, the thing I thought, because so my I the woman who originated the uh nicole kidman role is Mm -hmm. a friend of mine we did mama mia together um so so i i more wondered i didn't know the guy who created barry personally but i i more was like he was so brilliant on broadway like why not him but uh, you know it's like politics and like you do need names to get people to watch it that didn't bother or
2: social media followings
4: well (laughs) sometimes
2: because you mentioned sean
1: hayes being a caricature and a lot of people thought that James Corden was this like exaggerated caricature of what a gay man, not that gay men aren't like that, but certainly not all gay men are like that. And that happens to be this pretty derogatory perception of gay men. So.
4: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it like that. I respect and understood. I mean, some of my friends really felt strongly about that. Um, But to me, I mean that is the character. I did. I didn't see it as him being like super, like over the top flamboyant in an offensive way. I mean that character. It's written in his, in all of his songs. Like he is a flamboyant, uh, you know, like gay, gay, gay. You know, yeah. and so that that didn't bother me. But I, I mean, I, at the same time, I understand why people would see it as problematic because he is straight. But I think if he had played it more, uh, what should we say, like subtly or less like fabulous, I feel like it would have been terrible because that's not the character. You know, I think that would have been harder to watch for me.
1: Interesting. Uh, we, we're going to end on a very fun game. I have, uh, unless Liz has another serious question, I have one no, more no, for no. you only because, you know, in your spare time, Mike, you're saving the world and Liz and I are <laughs> sitting on our couches. So you might be the perfect person to ask this, but what is a piece of advice you might have for the younger generation who might be in a similar situation towards you of knowing that they're gay wholeheartedly, even at a young age, but kind of feeling stifled in coming out. Do you have a piece of advice for the younger generation?
4: Uh, I think my biggest piece of advice is do it on your own time. And when you feel ready and when you you feel safe, especially if you come from an area or family or community where you feel like pretty isolated or, you know, super conservative, you know, because I think in a way it's almost changed in the past decade where it's like, come out, come out, come out, which I think you should. But I think it's also important to stress like you have to do it when like, and not to be corny, but like when your soul's telling you to do it, when it feels right for you, you know, and if it's starting with one person, if it's starting with like your best friend, you know, like the power of coming out is so transformative. So maybe you start there, you know, maybe you start there until you can feel more comfortable to come out to your family. But I think, I think the important thing to walk away with is like, time fixes everything, you know? And it's like, we all have been lost at some point or like, you know, I mean, even at, right. at 32, you know, it's like I, my identity is growing and you're always like learning more about yourself. So time kind of fixes everything. And no matter you, know, for some, some people are so lucky, like, it's just like not a issue or a hard conversation, but for those that it is, it's like, it truly, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be a different person. And it's, it's hard to absorb that in the moment, but just tell yourself that over and over until it like kind of sinks in, you know, because it is so true.
1: Totally. Well said. this. It, it feels like a very serious way to tee up our stupid, silly game, say, but here
4: we no, are. Let's do some fun stuff.
1: Go ahead, Liz. Why don't you explain the game here?
2: Sure. Okay. So this is rapid fire. It's silly. It's queer. Sometimes it's not, it's just nonsense.
1: This is scissor me this. Okay, Mike, this is the segment. Yes. Would you rather only be able to post on Instagram and never see a comment after you post? Or would you rather to be forced to look at every single comment as they roll in for all of time and eternity?
4: Never see a comment again. No problem. Yeah. I don't, very, I don't yeah. Have to read them anyway. <laughs>
2: yeah, yes. <laughs> Love it. As an expert in influencer marketing. Yeah. and influencers <laughs> who is somebody that you follow that you're like kind of embarrassed about or that you like hate follow
4: it's not hate well follow- you know not
2: hate i don't like some people no, call yeah. it hate following which is why i said that but maybe that you're like i like love to hate that i follow this person
4: i love all reality tv i literally watch like 90 day fiance like all the house I love vibes, 90 day fiance race. So I do get a little embarrassed about like I follow some of the housewives, but I can't help myself. Like I have to, like, especially if it's one I feel like very uh supportive of or I'm excited about. Okay,
2: well, who? Who's your favorite housewife then that you oh, follow? Yeah,
4: okay, okay. So my 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 current favorites, because Potomac and Salt Lake City literally got me through this pandemic. Um, but I'm obsessed with Meredith and Heather. I listen to Ugh. you. Guys, uh,
1: listen to I'm,
2: disengaging. Oh I'm, I'm disengaging. I'm disengaging. Also, two things. One, listen to our episode with Heather Gay if you haven't already. No, I did.
4: I did. Oh, you did. Okay. So you know
2: Darren and I love her. But two, like the icy, icy, icy coldness of Meredith just being like when they at the end of the at at the end of the reunion when Annie's like, what would you do differently? She doesn't say anything about doing differently (laughs) she reads every single woman here's what i think you all
1: should do differently not me which is how i like handling things
4: there's so there's housewives that you love because you're like i would like party with her and like we would be best friends and then there's ones where you're like it's just good tv and you deserve your spot there but i died because she's like um thank you for the question i have nothing to say but here we go Oh, wait, wait, wait. You know what was my favorite moment? And my poor boyfriend, I've been like reciting it like once a day, like as a spell. But when Lisa Barlow was like, uh, Whitney Heather, bad weather, tornado destroyed, when she like kind of just like <laughs> lost it and she was like, just like coming at them in this like Dr. Seuss nursery rhyme, it's the best thing I've seen <laughs> ever.
1: The Lisa's interesting classic. The interesting thing about Salt Lake City is, of course, you know, I've watched, I watched the season, being Andy's assistant before it even started to air, so I sort of knew I had interviewed some of them kind of before the world got introduced to them. And if you asked me six months ago, I would have been like, everyone's not going to be able to shut the fuck up about Mary Cosby, and she's probably. Like the one we're talking about the least, but she has a pretty interesting storyline. So it just goes to show that the cast is like phenomenal. Cause I would have been like, Oh my God, yeah.
4: Mary, I mean,
2: Mary Crosby's passing fuck? out. Well, and, and she just... really,
4: sorry, she really showed up at the reunion because, you know, we got a lot of, you know, a lot of solo shoots in her closet, which is fabulous. That but really- she really showed up at the reunion. Like she, especially like the first part where she was like coming for everyone, not taking anyone's shit. I was like, I need more Mary like I can't wait for season two Mary like that background is I mean she needs a movie
1: all right next question would you rather play a role that's your dream role that you fucking would kill for but it never gets seen for whatever reason or play a role you fucking hate and loathe that typecasts you but it's wildly popular forever
4: oh lord because if it to play the dream wall that never gets seen would be such a heartbreak. If a
1: tree falls in a forest, you know, does it really make a sound kind of thing?
4: Wow. I like hate myself for this answer, but I think the other one, because then at least I know I would keep working and, you know, I have people to try and help out. Let's be
2: real here. If you, if it wasn't a little bit about that, you would be doing like theater in the mountain, like Shakespeare in the mountain. Like, let's be real. Exactly. Okay going back to influencer because that's really was the theme for me on Scissor Me This. Would you rather be a flat tummy tea ambassador or a fab fit fun box <laughs> in, in, <laughs> ambassador? Oh Use your 10% co- code Mike to get 10%
1: mm. off your next fucking order, people. If I see one more of those on <laughs> oh Instagram, God. i gonna die.
4: Oh, neither.
2: <laughs> yeah. You have to pick. <laughs> flat tummy tea. Flat tummy
4: tea. Tea. A fab
2: a Fab Fit Fun Box. I've gotten one or two in my day as a gift, and they're not that bad.
4: Fab oh, okay.
1: Fit Fun. All right.
4: All right. Uh, I, I uh, haven't opened one of those, uh, but I'll take your word for it.
1: A- like uh, uh, just absurd. And uh last one for me, name three useless things that you absolutely need during your day, otherwise you can't
4: function. Oh gosh. Well, the first one is definitely diet coke or coke zero. I'm like severely addicted i was gonna I mean, drink
1: a diet coke today and then liz made fun of me last time so i was like i'm gonna do a perrier today
2: because every time my- we have an interview darren's just like just glugging down a dc
1: <laughs> every time
4: oh my god thank I, you I, mike I,
1: for being on my side with this okay you're welcome
4: <laughs> i was drinking one the other day during like a zoom meeting and i, I all of a sudden like i got a little self-conscious and i was like I wonder how many people think I'm trash because I'm just like, my, like, Diet Coke. like you know what? it is what it is. It's always been that way. Own
1: your trash. I always say that. Own your trash. Yes. I
4: hope my our reality TV shows like I literally especially through the pandemic. That's how I know what day of the week it is. It's like, oh, this shows drag races on Friday, you know. Um, and the third is my weighted blanket.
1: Oh, oh I literally that's so cute. Put it,
4: I put it like over myself as I like work on the couch because it's like it's like uh, no I problem. know we're
1: recording this a little early but you have two other huge drag race fans over here and I just recently I got that into this gonna season. I was going to be my I, next
2: question. I was just is- going to ask
1: who she, who you think is going to win. Well, who do you want to win? Yeah. And who do you think will win? Who are you rooting for?
4: Okay, so I think from the get-go I was like Simone is incredible. She has X-factor yes. and Number I one. think for sure top 3 and could win. That being said, got mick is a dark horse for me in the beginning i'm going to be honest i kind of like wrote him off it's like he's fine you know and he is showing up with a vengeance
1: that anal beat outfit i was like okay you need to win you need to win i also love
4: rosé i think that might be real
1: name rosé is in my top two it's rosé for me i've seen rosé perform
4: yeah, Rosé in New York has this reputation, which this happens a lot with New okay. York Queens sometimes. It's like it doesn't translate or they are nervous and it doesn't show up on the show. So I'm like, come on, Rosé. But I feel like the past Also week, a
1: beautiful man. He's a beautiful stunning. man. Oh, yeah, yeah. So cute. Stunning guy.
4: I mean, Jesus <laughs> I feel like he's showing up lately. So there's time still.
1: Interesting. And I can't stop saying Tinta Burnter because RuPaul oh, said it oh and like God. introducing Tina. Ber- I can't stop saying Tinta Burnter. Like I want yeah, to my cat yeah. Tinta Burnter. Like I am so, I'm so in this. I actually think Olivia Lux is a little bit of a that's, dark horse. Okay. So
2: that's what I think is my top three are Got Mick, Simone and Olivia. For me, even though this was not a question and nobody asked me anything and scissor me, this is all about our guests, but I don't care. (laughs) I cannot with candy. Candy's gotta go. And I Thank was annoyed you. as fuck that Rue brought her back. And I was like, God, she's not it. bringing the outfits that that are expected, I think. Like, if Ooh. Godnick's
1: gonna come out in an anal bead outfit with, like, a fucking hat, then, like, she's gotta come out with more than, like, a trash bag painted white. Like, it's gotta be... You gotta elevate this a little bit. Thank I just think she's
4: mean.
2: That. I don't like her. I think she's I mean. I
4: completely agree. I literally got in a huge fight with two of my friends the other day because they're like, oh, my God, I was crying. Candy was safe. I look love candy. I was like... What, are we watching the same show? I was like, Candy, first of all, they keep talking about how great Candy is. I'm like, step it up. Like, I'm not impressed yet. Also, you're mean. I agree. I'm like, mean. I know. I would have like rather
1: mean. them save Lala Ree because I just thought Lala yeah. was like, I mean, even Agreed. though the bad challenge was fucking terrible, Abiz, I get it. But like, Lala Ri was like-, like, bitchy funny. Whereas Candy Muse is
2: like, mean
4: Mean, also
2: that that bag outfit will go down as like a rupaul's (laughs) drag race historical moment it was so good it was amazing it was very pandemic well mike before we let you go where can the people
1: find you watch your stuff follow you dm you give it to
4: us Sure, sure, sure. So first and foremost, uh, check out the influencers on Amazon Prime. What I always say is so it's a people, you know, we get the reaction sometimes that people are like, oh, I hate influencers and don't under. It's a satire. It's a mockumentary. making fun um, of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so what I always say is if you love social media, the show's for you. If you hate social media, the show's for you because they're all kind of like these Valerie Cherish characters, you know, totally. where it's like, they're not self-aware, so it's you know it's it's fun for everyone. And then you can find me on all the social things at at Mike Heslin. Um I'm primarily just on Instagram and Twitter, but yeah, 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 at Mike Kestlin everywhere. Say yes. hi,
2: and Liz. Where can the listeners find more of us? Well, you can find Darren at Carpe Darren on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me, listen to Liz on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show S I A T podcast on all social media platforms and. DM us, follow us. Mike, thanks for being here.
4: Thanks for having me. It was so nice to meet you. I was listening to your episodes the other day and I was like, they're so fun. I can't wait.
1: Oh, Oh, thank you. You could just (laughs) drop the sperm off in the mail for Liz. I think that's how it works. I'm right in West Hollywood. She'll get you free Diet Coke for the rest of your life, though. Just know that. that That's Liz's signal. Yeah. yeah.
4: (laughs) See you in 10 minutes.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here, Mike. We appreciate you. Thanks
4: for having me.
2: Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begus. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday.